even if you change jobs, but you still have the same inner talk track that's telling you that you're not good enough and you're not doing enough, nothing's going to change except for maybe your commute and the faces of your coworkers. This is why you have to start with learning to manage those limiting beliefs that are causing the burnout, the overwhelm, and the anxiety in the first place. Welcome to Is This All There Is, the podcast for high-achieving women who have checked all the boxes and are left feeling overwhelmed, unfulfilled, and stuck. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ryan Fear, and in each episode, we'll use principles of cognitive psychology, feminist theory, and expert mindset coaching to help you build the confidence and clarity you need to accomplish whatever it is you want, even if you don't yet know what that is. Hey, everybody, how is it going? Over the weekend, I rode in a horse show with my daughter. And for those of you who don't know, horses are a big part of my life. I live on a small horse farm, and then I ride and um, do some competing, not as much as I used to when I was younger. And it's really interesting to see the arc of my anxiety before and during a horse show. And I put a post about this on my Instagram just because it's so it's interesting being able to witness my brain and to witness my brain go into anxiety mode and to really stay in the driver's seat when my brain does this rather than letting it take me on a wild ride. And what I mean by that is so whenever it's time to sign up to go for a show, to go to a show, I always think, oh my gosh, this sounds so fun. Let's sign up for some classes that'll be hard for me so I can stretch myself and really test myself. And then when it's time for the show, my brain freaks out because I still have a big part of my myself, my identity that's perfectionistic. So even though I don't want to admit it, I really like to get things right, and I really like to control things. And so before a horse show or any other type of competition, there is a, a need, a desire <laughs> to control things, right? Because so many things feel out of control. So I get super anxious about, did I forget anything? Did I remember everything that I need for the show? And then competing with my daughter also, making sure she has everything that she needs. And this show this weekend was about an hour and a half away, whereas most of the shows we've done recently have all been like 10 minutes away. <laughs> They've been really close. So if we forgot, say, our riding helmet or our boots, we could easily just come home or go to our barn where we ride and grab them. But when you're traveling, that's a lot harder to do. So noticing my brain as it wants to freak out or my brain freaking out and then catching it later on is fascinating to me because this is a lot of the work that I do with my clients, right? Is that I help them see how the thoughts they have, how the thoughts they have every day are getting in the way of their success. So it used to be at horse shows that I would be so scared going into the class, riding in the class. By the way, you probably can tell I still don't have a much of a voice. I feel much better, but I'm still recovering from bronchitis. So I apologize for that. Anyway, I used to go to a horse show and just be anxious the whole time to the point where I would get so fearful before going into a class that I basically would just black out 
and my horse would have to do all the work. And with this show, it was so interesting because I still would freak out. But then as soon as I would step into the arena, I would remind myself like, yeah, it's okay that I freak out. Like that's all part of my process. Part of my process is freaking out and trying to control things and worrying about forgetting stuff. That's just what I do at horse shows. And that really helped clear my mind so I could focus on what I was doing in the arena, which was the competition. So anyway, being able to see what your brain is doing, being able to manage your mind when it wants to go into anxious mode, and being able to not make it a problem, those are all game changers. And that's what I want for you over the course of this podcast. If you're in my free Facebook group, if you're on my email list, if you become a client, actually think about everyone who listens to this as a client. But if you become a client who pays me money, that's also fun. But my goal for you is for you to be able to learn how to use your brain in a way so it doesn't hold you back. So basically, my coaching is all about helping you become the best, most amazing version of yourself by learning how to work with your brain. So. That brings me to today's episode, which is all about how to know when it's time to leave your job. So my question for you is, what if you could actually have more job satisfaction, more fulfillment, and less stress without quitting your job? It's 100% possible. A lot of you come to me because you're burned out in your jobs. Something about your job just no longer resonates, no matter how long you've worked to get there, how hard you've worked to get there, your job just isn't working out for you anymore. But you don't know what else it is that you would do. You have no idea. Or you do have an idea, but the idea feels really scary, right? Because our brains crave security. Our brains crave predictability. And even though your job is no longer fulfilling, maybe it never was, something with it isn't resonating with you any longer, at least it hasn't killed you yet, right? Because one of your brain's primary jobs is to keep you safe. Your brain doesn't care about how fulfilled you are. Your brain just wants to make sure you don't get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. So going to the same job day in, day out may be burning you out, but at least it hasn't killed you. So you feel like it's time to leave your job, but you don't know what else you would do or you're making a good amount of money and you worry that you wouldn't be able to make the same amount or more doing something different. Perhaps you're the breadwinner of the family and your family depends on your income and so you feel even more constricted or restricted about what else it is that you could do professionally. And then there's the gaslighting that happens where you tell yourself that you've worked so hard to get where you are you got the degree, you got the promotion, you should be happy to be where you are. How many times have you told yourself that? Or so many people don't have jobs right now, so you should be happy to at least have a job. So I want you to stop gaslighting yourself. Stop telling yourself that you should just be happy. That's something that women in particular tend to do because we're so conditioned to look to everybody else to determine how we should feel. So if we see somebody else Without a job, we think, oh, well, at least I have a job, so I should feel grateful for that job. There's nothing wrong with gratitude. In fact, I'm a big proponent of gratitude. It's a great emotion to get you where you want to go. 
But that doesn't mean that you need to tell yourself that you should just suck it up and keep going if you're ready to make a change. So I want to tell you a little bit about myself and my story because I haven't delved into that in the podcast. I post a little bit about my story in my Facebook group, on my website, in other places, but in the podcast, I haven't talked that much about myself. So pretty much my whole professional life up until now has been about throwing the spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. And it really has all been based on what other people think I should do or me limiting myself in what I can do. So my very first job out of college was actually teaching horseback riding at a summer camp, but I ended up breaking my knee at that job. I was thrown from a horse and had to come home to Portland and have two knee surgeries that were six months apart. So after the first surgery and I was starting to recuperate, I got really bored, and so I took a temporary job. And I worked as an administrative assistant in a consulting firm. And I met the consultants. I was really familiar with the work that they were doing. It was business process reengineering in the healthcare industry. Now that's a mouthful, I know. And mind you, I was an art history and psychology major. So a lot of the consultants in this role, they were econ majors. They were political science majors. They were not psychology and art history majors. But I saw them doing the work and I thought, well, I could do that work too. That sounds really interesting. So I applied for it and I got it and I became a business process reengineering consultant in the healthcare industry. Now this job checked a lot of boxes for me. I, it was the late 90s. I was making a boatload of money because that was what people did in the late 90s before the tech bust. It was during the tech boom. I was flying down to Stanford Medical Center from Portland every morning and flying home every Thursday. And really on the outside, it looked like I had it all, right? I had this challenging job, making a lot of money, glamorous life, right? Flying to work on Monday. But on the inside, I was miserable. I just, I got so tired of getting on airplanes. I was so self-critical of the work that I was doing because, again, I was telling myself this story that everybody else in the room knew so much more than I did because they'd majored in economics. They had this background. They were so much more qualified. I didn't know at the time that it was just thoughts and thoughts are optional. I believed my thoughts and I believed that I was inferior to all of my coworkers and I didn't know what I was doing. So needless to say, that didn't last very long. I actually, I stayed in that job for about two years, but got really burned out and I started having panic attacks. So I dialed it back a little bit and I asked to be transferred to the marketing department. So I worked in the marketing department for a while. But that just wasn't fulfilling. So I asked myself, what is it that I truly love doing? And the answer at the time, I think I was 25, 26 maybe, the answer at the time was teaching horseback riding lessons to kids at summer camp. And since I told myself I couldn't be a professional camp counselor, I decided to be a high school teacher. So I went back to school. I got the equivalent of a visual arts degree and a master's in teaching. And I became a high school teacher. And I did that for several years, and I really enjoyed the work. I loved my kids. I loved teaching art. But there was this story that I had in the back of my brain that I needed to do more because I'd always envisioned myself as being the boss. I'd envisioned myself wearing suits, carrying a briefcase, bringing home the bacon, whatever the metaphors are that you want. And I'm not going to dig too deep into where that comes from. 
just know that was the story that I had for myself of who I was supposed to be. So one day, some kids came into my classroom, some kids that I really enjoyed working with, and they told me that there was an opening for the activities director position. So for those of you who don't know, a high school activities director, at least in Oregon, teaches the leadership classes, works with the student council kids, and is responsible for putting on all of the school events. So dances, prom, assemblies, all of those things, clubs, the things that make school fun. So I thought, oh my gosh, that sounds so fun. So I did that for four years and I got so tired of proms (laughs) when the kids would have their annual drama over the prom theme and they would be stressed about, do we do under the stars? Do we do under the sea? Do we do midnight train to Georgia? (laughs) Whatever the prom themes were, they were usually like five predictable themes. After four years of that, I was just done. And I went into my principal's office and I told him, I was like, I'm done. I need to do something different. And so he suggested, what if I go back to school and get my doctoral degree in education? And that fit in with my vision of myself, of being a leader, wearing the suit. A part of my vision was also getting an advanced degree. So I thought, great. I'm not happy in my current position. I don't know what else I want to do. Might as well go to school. So luckily, this is a degree that I could pursue while I was still working. So I did that, got my doctoral degree. The ups and downs of that are a story for another podcast. And then I became a high school administrator. So I became an assistant principal because that also fit my vision of myself as being a leader, et cetera, et cetera. So that was about eight years ago. And there were a lot of things that I loved about that job. I loved my coworkers. I loved being on a team. I loved the idea of helping kids have a better experience with education. But all of the self-criticism, all of the self-doubt that I had basically since birth, but that had shown up throughout my whole career, all of the second-guessing myself was still there and was really making me miserable. So I was really worried about what other people thought of me. I would make decisions based on what I thought other people wanted me to do. I really, in every situation, I threw myself and my own values out the window in favor of what I thought other people wanted. I never would have identified as being a people pleaser. If you had said, oh, that's people pleasing activity, I wouldn't have identified with that, but that's 100% what it was. I also was so worried about what other people thought about me was I was um, expending a ton of time and energy on stuff that just didn't matter. Like I would go over an email five times to make sure the tone was correct. I would make sure that in my interactions with everybody, I was professional as possible. I was always second guessing myself. And as you can imagine, that was exhausting, right? Because the story I had in my head about myself was that I'm not good enough. I need to act like somebody else so that I can feel like I'm good enough. And when other people approve of me, then I'll know I'm good enough. So that might be a very familiar story. So this was around the time that I hired the coach who changed the trajectory of my life. And she taught me how to manage my thinking and manage that inner talk track so I could get more of what I wanted out of life. So the best advice I got 
was when I was completely burned out in my job wasn't to look for a new job or go back to school again or find a career counselor. Even though all I wanted to do was jump ship, the best advice I got was to learn to love my job before I left it. Believe me, this was the last thing that I wanted to hear from my coach. I wanted her to say, pull a Milton, burn it all down. Just quit. You'll figure something out. You're smart. I wanted her to encourage me to jump ship, to just leave. Or I wanted her to tell me what it was I was meant to do with the rest of my life so that I could actually have a plan and then leaving wouldn't be so scary. I wanted her to tell me that I was destined to be something totally different, like a tap dancer or a dog swim lesson instructor. So of course I was burned out as a high school assistant principal. But no, she told me that I needed to stay put if I wanted to make any lasting change in my life and get to the root of what was burning me out. Because my job wasn't the problem. My brain was. And if I reflect back over my entire career, all of the stress I created was because of the relentless self-criticism that I had. If I had quit, I would have just brought the same brain with me to my new job. The change of scenery probably would have been nice for a while. It would have been fun. It would have been novel. But eventually, the same thoughts that caused my burnout in my first job would have inevitably led to more burnout in the next job, and the job after that, and the job after that. So if you're constantly hustling for your self-worth by seeking praise and avoiding criticism, if you're worried about what other people think of you, if you're researching answers to all the questions someone might ask you in a meeting, If you're trying to make the perfect fruit salad for the school picnic, you're going to burn out pretty fast. If you think you aren't good enough, then you're going to hustle for your self-worth. So even if you change jobs, but you still have this same inner talk track that's telling you that you're not good enough and you're not doing enough, nothing's going to change except for maybe your commute and the faces of your coworkers. This is why you have to start with learning to manage those limiting beliefs that are causing the burnout, the overwhelm, and the anxiety in the first place. So this is 100% of the work that we do in my coaching program. If you're ready to feel better now without making any changes but to your mindset, then decide on the next level for your career and life based on what you want rather than what everyone else has told you what to want, then you're in the right place. If you're ready to get all of your power back in your current job without jumping ship, lighting the place on fire, or doing something else drastic, then I really would encourage you to check out my six-month group coaching program. We start at the end of October, and the entire premise of the work that we do is learning how to feel better now without making any drastic changes in your life so that you get your time and energy back. And then you can create the next phase of your life on your own terms based on what it is that you want rather than what your family, your peers, society has told you to want. So the reason I chose the name metamorphosis is I like to think about, you know, it's a cliche about the butterfly going through a metamorphosis. But like butterflies, lobsters also go through a metamorphosis. And I can't remember if I've talked about the lobster metaphor in this podcast, but I'm going to talk about it again because it's kind of the foundation of my business. So lobsters, unlike a lot of other crustaceans, don't grow bigger shells. 
So when they're getting close to outgrowing their current shell, they shed it, they molt, and then they have to find a place to hide while they grow their new shell because they're basically this pile of delicious goo. So they're hiding and they're probably feeling uncomfortable. They're probably feeling very vulnerable. But from that place, they get to create this brand new shell that suits them perfectly, this bigger and better shell. So I love that metaphor for women's lives because we work really hard to create these lives for ourselves and they work for us until they stop working for us, until we outgrow them, until we hit a certain phase in our lives where we realize it's not about achieving the next gold star. It's not about earning other people's approval and it's really not about overextending ourselves hustling for our own self-worth. So we shed that shell, but then there's this face that feels uncomfortable and vulnerable because we don't know what's happening next. We don't know what's going to come in the future. We just trust that it's going to be bigger and better. And then we spend our time consciously crafting the next phase of our lives, the next bigger, better lobster shell with intention based on what it is that we actually want when we rediscover what it is that we want. So it's building your life on purpose. Rather than creating a life by default, you get to create a life by design. But you can't do that until you learn to manage your mindset first, because no matter how beautiful of a lobster shell you create, if you still believe that you're not good enough and you're not doing enough and you have some thought errors about yourself and the way life works, it doesn't matter how amazing of a lobster shell you create, you're always going to believe that you're not good enough and you're not doing enough, which is why we work on mindset first. So if you're ready to get a handle on your mindset, if you're ready to feel better now without changing anything in your life, and then create the next phase on purpose, let's talk. There will be a link in the show notes about how to apply for metamorphosis. If you want to hop on a phone call and talk about it, I'm happy to do that too. Also, by the time you listen to this podcast, we'll be starting my free five-day self-criticism challenge. It's not a challenge to see how self-critical you can be. I know you already would win that challenge. It's a challenge to reduce and get a handle on the constant self-criticism that's holding you back. We start October 10th. Totally okay to join late if you're listening to this after that date because you'll have access to all of the materials once the challenge is over. So if you're ready to stop feeling crummy, stop feeling burned out, overwhelmed, unfulfilled, and anxious, and you're ready to create the next phase of your life on purpose while feeling more calm, confident, and joyful, let's talk. All right, take care. If you found this podcast helpful, head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Go ahead and send it to a friend while you're at it. Thank you. My mission in life is to liberate women from the limiting beliefs that are holding them back from living their fullest, most joyful lives. If you'd like to learn more about my work, check out my website at www.amandaryanfear.com, where you can find links to join my free private Facebook group and to learn more about working with me.